Good evening, everyone. My name is Ethan LeCavalier-Kidney, and I'm delighted to be your host tonight for this virtual town hall meeting. Tonight, I'm joined by Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, Mike Ellis, and Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, Nicholas Milliken. Before we hear from our speakers, let me start by explaining how a telephone town hall works. Right now, Albertans are answering their phones and connecting to this discussion. We will hear from the ministers shortly. After that, it will be your turn. You will have a chance to ask your questions and share your thoughts related to public safety and emergency services in Alberta. You can get in line to ask a question at any time by pressing star three on your phone keypad. You'll then be put through to an operator who will take down your question and put you in line. Here are a few things to keep in mind when you raise your hand to ask a question. When you press star three to ask your question, you'll be routed to an operator who will ask to provide your name and community and who's who you're directing your question toward. Please try to keep your question as brief as possible. There are a lot of people on the line and we want to try and get to as many of your questions as we can. If you don't feel comfortable asking your question live, you can tell the operator that you'd like to have your question read aloud. Again, my name is Ethan LeCavalier-Kidney, and I'm excited to be your moderator for this telephone town hall meeting with Ministers Ellis and Milliken. I'm here to keep this conversation moving smoothly and to make sure we get to hear your opinions and have as much discussion as possible. Before we start getting to your questions, I'd like to invite our speakers to say a few words. Well, thanks very much, uh, Ethan. Uh, I am Mike Ellis, uh, Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, and I want to begin by thanking all of you for uh, joining us on today's event. I'm sure you have a lot of questions to ask, and uh, I promise we're going to do our best to get through as many of them as possible, and that I'll answer them as candidly as I can. Uh, before we get into tonight's Q&A portion, though, uh, let me just briefly address some of the topics uh, that I'm sure are top of mind for uh, most of you, if, if, if not all of you. Uh, I know that uh, an area of uh, pressing concern is the pervasive uh, feeling that Edmonton's uh, streets and its transit system have become uh, much more dangerous uh, a place just to navigate in general. Uh, this, of course, as I've indicated in the past, is, is unacceptable. No Albertan should feel unsafe uh, doing something as simple as taking a stroll in their, their own neighborhood, uh, going shopping, or riding a bus or an LRT. Law-abiding Edmontonians should not feel uh, out of place in their own city. And so uh, while the province uh, defers to local police services when it comes to day-to-day -day operations and, and that decision-making, we're, we're doing whatever it takes to make sure that Edmonton police have the resources that they need to effectively patrol their communities and take the city back from those who are seeking to cause harm. As we announced on Tuesday, we'll be providing uh, funding to the Edmonton Police Service and Calgary Police Service to hire 100 more street-level police officers over the next 18 months to tackle criminal activity in both Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, these uh, officers' uh, work will, of course, focus on public transit, uh, which uh, has been the setting for so much disorder and random violence. Improving public safety on the city uh, transit system and the network also involves uh, stations and vehicles uh, that, are, um, that, uh, that uh, are in the area. Uh, we need to clean up the drug paraphernalia and of course the debris. Also announced on Tuesday, uh, a new $5 million grant to uh, Edmonton. Uh, this will allow the city to provide the services needed to keep the station platforms and the vehicles clean, uh, safe and welcoming for all law-abiding Edmontonians. 
And of course, we're also in the middle of the three-month pilot project uh, that has the Alberta Sheriff's patrolling the high-priority neighborhoods alongside members of the Edmonton Police Service. It's important to note that uh, we're also looking beyond social disorder and taking uh, on more complex uh, criminal activity. We're increasing funding to the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Team uh, by $50 million to continue their investigative and uh, serious uh, work on crimes like child exploitation, uh, gang violence, drug trafficking, and of course gun crimes. And to use that intelligence that they gather to stop the violence before it happens. You know, as a former police officer myself, I have always uh, looked at uh, calls to defund the police as misguided at best and dangerous, of course, at worst. At the same time, though, supporting the police doesn't uh, mean abandoning transparency and accountability, and that's why the ministry is also mandating the use of body-worn cameras for all law enforcement officers uh, everywhere in the province so that police services can be held responsible for their actions that they take. And we're also expanding the mandate of ACERT, the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team, so that uh, complaints against police are investigated and uh, resolved impartially. Our team is uh, limited. Tonight, pardon me. Our time is limited tonight. So I just want to thank everybody uh, very much. Um, I uh, I know that uh, on the the invite, uh, Justice Minister Tyler Shandro was supposed to be here, and unfortunately he could not make it tonight, but uh, rest assured we're going to do our best to answer all questions, uh, even related to justice, and I'm going to pass it over to my good friend, uh, the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Nicholas Milliken. Uh, thank you very much, Minister Ellis, Mike, um, and of course, good evening, everyone. It's exciting to, for, I think it's exciting to be here today on today's topic with regards to public safety in Edmonton, uh, especially as somebody who grew up in Edmonton, worked uh, several aspects of my career uh, in Edmonton and also went to university there. So definitely excited to be uh, joining everyone. Thank you very much for, for tuning in. So our government is taking action to keep our communities safe while treating mental health and addiction as health care issues. That is why we are making, uh, honestly, record investments in mental health supports and addiction treatment so that we can support more Albertans in their pursuit of recovery. Budget 2023 invests more than $275 million in Alberta's mental health and addiction budget, which is an increase of about 37% year over year, and it's actually very significantly higher than uh, the $87 million provided for mental health and addiction in 2019 uh, under the previous government. This increase in funding provides the resources required to continue to address the addiction crisis and also further build recovery-oriented systems of care across our province. So if you, um, if you read the news or, or follow government announcements, you would probably have heard uh, Minister Ellis or I uh, talk about our government's, um, what we refer to as fair, firm, and compassionate approach to addressing public safety, mental health, and addiction issues. Um, to put those in perspective, it's, we, uh, we use fair uh, to, the, to the communities and the businesses uh, that face these issues every day, ensuring that the safety of Albertans is, of course, our top priority. Firm, of course, with the illness of addiction itself and the behaviors of people that are a danger to themselves or to others as a result of their drug use. And then, of course, compassionate to the individuals who are struggling with mental health and addiction, who require our care and support as, uh, as they pursue their recovery. So back in December, our government promised to move really quickly to implement a series of initiatives that reflect uh, this approach, and Budget 2023 continues to prioritize these efforts. Uh, one example, on Tuesday, 
I announced that Alberta's government is providing funding for 12 new police and crisis teams, commonly referred to as PACT, in both major cities. Uh, so in Edmonton, that's going to actually triple the number of teams. I think they're going from 6 to 18, and then uh, in Calgary, it's 12 to 24. So these teams partner police constables and mental health therapists, uh, so they both go out and they respond to mental health-related 911 calls and provide support to officers who respond to calls where mental health challenges uh, are identified and also gives the opportunity so that when they, uh, when they do go forward on these calls, that they may not have to just take an individual who's experiencing some sort of, some sort of crisis moment and just automatically go to you know, the emergency room. It might be a situation where they can identify a different level of care that might be more appropriate. So it's a really good opportunity to make good use of the resources that we have. Um, since taking office, we have created more than 10,000 annual, annual publicly funded treatment, detox, recovery, and pre-treatment spaces. So that's capable of supporting in and around 10,000 Albertans, additional Albertans, every single year. I think that's taking it from about 18 to 28,000. Uh, approximately 2,600 of these new spaces of the new 10,000 are actually located in Edmonton. Uh, the Edmonton Public Safety and Community Response Task Force that was formed in December has also been tasked to implement initiatives addressing the addiction, mental health, and social disorder challenges facing Edmonton. So together we've been working on options to expand addiction treatment and medical detox capacity and exploring opportunities where we can integrate more mental health supports and services with uh, EPS or Ed Edmonton Police Services. And in the weeks ahead, I will have more specific details to share about how this group has followed through on their mandate and has taken action to address these complex social issues in Edmonton. So in conclusion, Budget 2023, just to sort of sum it up, continues to prioritize uh, public safety and provides funding for addiction mental health supports across the continuum of care, including prevention, intervention, treatment, and of course recovery. By working across uh, ministries, because we're obviously working with several ministries uh, side by side, we can continue to keep our communities safe while ensuring those who are struggling with mental health and addiction are supported in their pursuit of recovery. So thank you very much. And with that, I will pass it back over to Ethan. Thanks. Well, thank you, Minister Milliken, and thank you, Minister Ellis. For those of you just joining us, my name is Ethan LeCavalier-Kidney, and I'm your host for this evening's telephone town hall meeting. Joining me tonight are Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, Mike Ellis, and Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, Nicholas Milliken. Tonight we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. If you have a question for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. Now, let's get to our first caller of the night. On the line, we have Doug. Uh, Doug, you are now live. Can you please go ahead with your question? Yes, thanks uh, for taking my call and, and inviting me to this conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, I'd like to just ask the, Mr. Ellis uh, the question, uh, uh, what can we, the public, the general public do as far as our part uh, in, in assisting uh, with police, with governments, uh, with uh, our communities in, in making our, or doing our part in making our streets uh, safe? Uh, like, what are the street smarts that we need to apply ourselves? What are the things that we can do to protect ourselves and, and help and assist uh, law enforcement and, and our governments. 
I bring this question up because I often find out, uh, I, I find that we keep pointing fingers at the police. Uh, where are the police when you need them? Um, what are what are our governments doing? But there's a third equation here that's part of the community, and that's us, the citizens. What can we do uh, to be part of this process in, in making our streets safe? So Doug, uh, thanks very much. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. So one of the things that I've been uh, doing as far as we'll call it a, an overall vision and the paradigm shift uh, that you've heard me maybe speak about in the past is that uh, no longer in Alberta will police be seen as an arm of the state. Uh, they are to be seen as an extension of the community and actually a reflection of the community. So, you know, I reflect back on my time when I was in the Calgary Police Service, um, a time where there was uh, a lot of public trust, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, there was many, many of uh, surveys, and I think there was a couple of them there where we had a 96% approval rating with the citizens of Calgary back in the day. And what that, what, what that really meant was that the citizens trusted the police. They trusted them to show up. They trusted them to do the right thing. And the police were also held accountable. And that's why we, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, I'm going to be implementing the body cameras, uh, throughout uh, throughout the province, uh, obviously the independent complaints process, um, but you know we need to let our officers know that um, they're there to help us and that they're they're special to us. And I, I think that by letting them know that, um, we start to improve the morale, which uh, quite frankly, over the last several years has taken quite a hit. Um, sadly, from a, a bit of a, a defund the police sort of movement, um, and let them know that um, you know when we are in crisis, uh, citizens, we know that the police are going to be there to help us out. So, it's it's a very um, it's a very it's very important as citizens that we let our police know how valuable they are to them, but also our police need to know that they need to be held accountable. Um, they are all human beings. They uh, do make mistakes, but how the service itself um, earns the public trust is that when an officer does make a mistake, that they fall on the sword, they accept responsibility, and then we, we, we move on. Um, in regards to, we'll call it, you said, you know, we'll say a, the public safety, you know, from a protect yourself sort of, sort of uh, perspective, um, that's a very, you know, I always say this. Use of force is very subjective, and um, I would never encourage anybody to engage in an unknown situation with a possible unknown threat. And I encourage everyone, if you see something happen, call the police, call 911. And, uh, and then we will trust in them, as we should, to come and deal with that situation. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as you are a good witness that can provide them the evidence, then they need to do the right thing. And I'm sure we'll talk further about uh, other components of the justice system as the evening goes on. Well, thank you, Minister. And for those of us just joining us now, uh, for those of you, rather, just joining us now, uh, tonight we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. So if you have any questions for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. Our next question was submitted to us by Alexa, and Alexa's question is uh, for Minister Milliken. Youth mental health issues are on the rise. What are you doing to address these growing concerns? 
Uh, thank you very much uh, for the question. Um, as most of you uh, may know, uh, our, the mandate letters for ministers were made public and uh, the Premier put youth mental health issues and uh, work towards ensuring that we can do things to uh, support youth um, was one of the highest priorities uh, of, the, of, of the mandate letter. And uh, even just as a parent of two, I, uh, I, and having now gone through around the province and having spoken to many stakeholders, uh, many individuals who have gone either through the system or parents thereof, and just hearing some of the heart-wrenching stories, um, these are issues, or this is an area which I think uh, historically, and I would say this government has been um, fair, unfortunately uh, not adequately funded. Um, recently, actually, I made an announcement with regards to, uh, it was $92 million over three years in order to start or to help establish uh, what's called Casa House uh, in two other sites. So if you know, uh, well, the Sherd Park area is where you've got Casa House right now, and then they're building out now. We're going to be building out two more. And this is services for essentially the, um, I would say, what is often referred to as the missing middle. When you've got uh, kids who are going through mental health issues, you know, we've got some supports and, and things when we can talk about um, some of the sort of lower acuity stuff, but then as you, the acuity kind of increases, the only place in a lot of cases for individuals that are quite unfortunately in, with regards to mental health who are quite sick is usually to the hospital, which isn't necessarily um, the right level of service or supports that, that kids need. So with, uh, with Casa House, we're building, a, we're building out that opportunity to help with the, miss, with the missing middle. And then also through Casa as well, we're doing Casa class, classrooms all around the province. There's about 20 that we're, that we're putting up. And these are for kids who may have trouble maybe finishing out, say, uh, a term. But with, uh, with the Casa classroom, then they might have a, a situation where, you know, they'll be talking to a psychiatrist for uh, parts of the days and then also, of course, continuing along with their studies. So on that front, for the high acuity, we've done um, quite a bit. I would say, um, I think it was about, uh, I think it was 12 million that we actually did over three years for expansion of the Calgary Police Youth Foundation's Integrated Support uh, School Program, which is ISSP. And so basically what this does is it goes into the schools uh, and it's prevention-based initiatives, uh, wraparound services, systems at elementary schools um, across Edmonton and Calgary, and we're building this out across the province. Um, and of course, there's like meal programs, after-school care, physical education, and then of course, access to mental health professionals so that kids can talk to uh, individuals when they need to. When it comes to any mental health stuff, I always just say, you know, the good, the best starting point often is just calling 211, because if you call 211, then they're going to be able to help direct you to local services in the in the area that you're kind of calling from. And then also um, on the mental health thing too, we've uh, really um, gone ahead and partnered with Kids Help Phone uh, to provide children and youth with access to, of course, confidential counseling, 24/7 access. And then I could even talk about some mental health hubs that we're doing, but I don't want to take up the whole <laughs> the whole time here. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, m mental health hubs where it's basically wraparound services for kids where they can uh, where they can get access to um, counseling. We've got these things literally across the province, from from GP to Bonneville, Strathmore, um, in the Enoch area as well, Spruce Grove, so Stony Plain as well. So yeah, so I would say. 
given the fact that this has been such a priority for this government, and it was basically, if anything, double underlined in my mandate letter, uh, we have uh, managed to um, really put uh, a lot of supports into something that, again, I think in, in large part was not only unfunded, but also given the last few years that we've experienced, um, it's really been highlighted uh, in, uh, in, in society. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Minister. Uh, on the line for the next question, we have Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne, you are now live. Can you please go ahead with your question? Yes, I live in downtown Edmonton, and I see a lot of men and women and boys and girls that are addicted to drugs, and they're buying these drugs. And where is the money going to once they buy the drugs? That would be my question. Yeah, Dwayne, uh, thanks very much for the question. Um, sadly, it's going to the, the drug dealers. And um, not really the low-level drug dealers. It's actually going to uh, organized crime. Um, it's going to cartels. Um, you know, this is this is why we've invested uh, $50 million uh, into expanding and putting money into the Alberta law, um, pardon me, the alert teams, um, the Alberta law enforcement response teams um, to tackle organized crime. Um, you know, there's uh, gang suppression teams uh, that we have in Calgary, gang suppression teams that we have in Edmonton. Uh, obviously working collectively with uh, all the multiple jurisdictions from the RCMP to the seven municipal police services in Alberta. Obviously they have uh, national and international connections uh, to tackle the importation of these drugs um, and all types of drugs, Wayne, everything from you know, the uppers and the, the crystal meth, everything to, as well as the, the, the fentanyl. But uh, unfortunately, um, this is uh, extremely lucrative for these uh, drug dealers, and uh, you know that's something that uh, is not going to change unless we we go after them and let them know that these drugs are not welcome in our community. Thanks, Dwayne. Well, thank you, Minister. Um, for our next question on the line, we have Maria. Uh, Maria, you're now live. Please go ahead with your question. Thank you. I'm really happy to hear that the funding is being increased at, at such levels for all of these services because they're really needed. But I'm wondering about the specifics. And I'm wondering what can be done before that 911 call comes in. In most cases, by the time you get that call, it's too late for the individual. Um, I'm wondering, you know, the old adage of prevention versus cure. <laughs> and is there anything that can be put in place as part of those initiatives in identifying the youth and adults at risk. They, they have these issues within them, they, they don't have the supports, and then they strike out. And that's where we get the, um, the violent crimes on our transit system, on our streets. What, what can be done, Minister? Yeah, Maria, that's an excellent question. So. There's, uh, there's three pillars I know uh, that uh, I have talked about in the past as well, which one's called education, prevention, and intervention. Mr. Milliken kind of touched on a little bit called the ISSP, so it's called Integrated School Support Program. So the Integrated School Support Program, which, which was first um, started in, in Calgary, was a, a very long pilot project. And then when I was uh, myself the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, I, I kind of expanded that program to other jurisdictions. Uh, throughout Alberta. I, I'm hoping, uh, if we are uh, gracious enough to, to get another term, this is something that we would be looking at expanding to all schools in, in uh, 
in Alberta. But just to give a, what, what we basically did is we took basically a heat map from um, from education, uh, from health, and, and the police, and we kind of kind of kind of put it over top of each other and said, you know, who are the children in this province that are are are, are the the highest needs? Who can we help the most? with the uh, most, uh, as commonly used term, is called wraparound services. So, so in the integrated school support ground program, you, you have a police officer there who is a mentor. The mentor uh, who is going to help not only the child, but also help the family. Uh, they usually have, in that program, they'll have um, uh, psychological support services. Uh, they will also have um, um, uh, uh, food services to make sure that no child uh, goes uh, goes hungry. Uh, they will also make sure that they have um, uh, fitness as well as uh, other sort of therapeutic services to make sure that that child as well as the family is taken care of. And uh, from the pilot project that started in Calgary, they see seen in one of the mo, uh, most uh, or one of the lowest socioeconomic areas with the most diverse backgrounds of of students. Not only were they not only graduating um, up into into junior high, but also graduating into high school and then graduating into post secondary. So this is a model that is tried, tested, and true. It does work. But I will just say one more thing because I know Mr. Milken wants to jump in here. Is that is that the police? As, as part of that paradigm shift, right, the integration of the police into the community, if the police is not the mentor, and to your point, the drug dealer will become the mentor. The, the uh, gang member will become the mentor, and we can't let that happen. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity um, to, to talk about this. As, uh, as I kind of mentioned in the opening remarks, we've gone from what used to be 87 million to now 275. Of that, um, just for the earmarked kind of uh, amounts, 30 million is based on, is going to be directed towards prevention. Now, um, Minister uh, Ellis, Mike just talked about um, the ISSP, which is about 12. There's another almost seven, I think, with regards to building out uh, counseling Alberta so it's basically an opportunity virtually anywhere in the province but of course in Edmonton uh, virtual counseling availability in-person counseling availability opportunities to talk to people as they're as they're starting to to have these potential for issues but another thing that like w what we're doing is we're we're essentially through, for, for mental health and addiction we are building out a recovery oriented system of care so what that is we're, we're it, it's a holistic approach where anybody wherever they are on the continuum of whatever issue they're dealing with will have an opportunity or hopefully will be directed or, or oriented towards uh, some sort of treatment aspect, right? So what that can do is if you, take, um, if you take somebody who's addicted, well then what you're essentially doing at whatever stage they're at, uh, whether you're reducing the harm that they're, that they're um, experiencing, you're also directing them towards opportunity for recovery and in that you're essentially preventing hopefully continued drug use etc so um, of course our government uh, as just a, a line item almost is just we believe that anybody who is experiencing mental health or addiction issues should have the available uh, treatments there so that they can pursue pursue recovery so Prevention, I think is your, your old adage of an ounce of prevention is worth a, you know, that kind of logic is definitely something that we've considered. Um, it often is, uh, again, the ISP program is one, of the, is one of the ones directed directly at youth uh, in the schooling systems to make sure that 
um, we can start catching some of these issues earlier because, of course, to go to your old adage logic, if we don't catch them earlier and we don't, if we don't have the supports there earlier, then the acuity can really, really increase. And if that's the case, then these kids are, in a, in a lot of cases, they're ending up at hospitals, which are extremely expensive, sometimes in the neighborhood of something like $3,000 a day, and uh, not necessarily the right place for them, too. So we're definitely, uh, we're definitely taking into account the, 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 the idea behind the question, definitely looking at prevention as one of the pillars of what we're doing. Definitely. Thanks. Well, thank you, ministers. And for everyone just joining us, Tonight, we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. And so if you have a question for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. Now for our next question, we have David. David, you are now live. Can you please go ahead with your question? Hi, uh, I have a question for Mr. Uh, Ellis. Um, given the, 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 the increased rate of crimes, um, what can the government of the Alberta government do to address and toughen the criminal law and also to import model, um, you know, for those that have mental illness and to get the treatment that they need um, rather than do the catch and release and uh, because with the Bill C-75, it make it easier for criminals to post, you know, to post bail. Yeah, uh, David, thank you so much. Um, certainly, uh, the recovery-oriented system of care is something that obviously we deal with from a um, mental health and addictions perspective. But I'm going to touch a little bit on what you just mentioned regarding Bill C-75. So uh, just for yourself and the, the, the listeners, uh, in 2019, uh, the, the federal government, along with their, their allies, so that's the, uh, the Liberal NDP Alliance, uh, came forward with a bill called Bill C-75. Uh, to make a long story uh, short, David, it, it essentially lowered the bar on bail hearings, uh, making it easier for um, violent repeat criminal offenders to be released um, uh, onto the streets. Uh, this is not unique to Alberta. This is something that was occurring uh, all throughout uh, Canada, from Vancouver all the way to the East Coast, uh, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, uh, you name it. And uh, in each of these cases uh, there throughout uh, Canada, um, these uh, violent repeat criminal offenders were being released and committing more crimes. So um, the provinces were very united in raising our concerns in regards to this. So we um, were asked by Minister Lametti and Minister Menachino, the federal ministers in Ottawa, uh, my, myself, uh, Minister Shandro, as, as well as every other uh, public safety and justice minister to attend Ottawa, um, our position in Alberta was simply this, that if, if immediate and substantive changes were not made to the criminal code to stop the violent repeat criminal offenders from being released and preying uh, on citizens of Canada, and, uh, then we would be uh, asking that Bill C-75 be repealed. Now we do have uh, a commitment from the, the federal government, at least all of us uh, provinces, that uh, they will attempt to make uh, immediate and substantive changes. But as you know, the parliamentary process, um, they, they did say that they would try to make these changes this session. So uh, as we all know, devil's in the details, and we'll, we'll wait to see. Obviously, if that does not stop the violent repeat criminal offenders from being released, then we will uh, demand again that Bill C-75 uh, be repealed. But that doesn't stop the immediate concern. And that immediate concern 
had to do with the uh, public safety and the fact that people were feeling unsafe in the streets of Edmonton, the streets of Calgary, our two largest cities. And uh, that's why we deployed the sheriffs to kind of provide an assemblance of surety that we are, um, you know, have that officer presence out there so people can feel safe. And we received a lot of feedback. In fact, I would say that the, the, the biggest complaint I received is that we, we don't have more uh, sheriffs that were on the streets trying to keep Edmontonians safe and on the streets trying to keep Calgarians safe. So it's a very, very complex problem, but you rest assured, myself, Minister Shandro, uh, the Premier, um, we are advocating uh, for um, um, you know, stiffer uh, bail, bail restrictions so that uh, violent repeat criminal offenders uh, are not going to be released into the streets and uh, prey, upon the good, prey upon the good citizens of Edmonton or any other municipality in Alberta. Yeah, and let me just build off that. Um, it's a good question because this is a population. I was talking anecdotally to one of the chiefs of police, uh, and I believe that uh, they were saying that individuals who are getting into care like this, who are getting uh, arrested, uh, individuals upwards of 75% were experiencing some sort of mental health and or uh, addiction issue. So we've taken that very, very seriously. As I kind of said at the outset too, we've, um, in Edmonton alone, we've taken the PAC teams, um, uh, police and crisis teams, from six teams to 18 teams. Uh, what that basically is, is you've got a police officer and you've got a uh, mental health professional uh, actively going out to calls that have been identified as mental health or addiction issues uh, in order to help make sure that an individual who's experiencing that kind of crisis uh, can get the services that they want, or sorry, the services that they need. Um, we also have been building out therapeutic living units in arrest processing. And so basically what this is, in correction facilities, sorry. Um, and what these basically offer up is instead of individuals being in cells, if they've been identified as having mental health and or addiction issues, uh, then these are, these are essentially um, uh, rooms where they can not only get, you know, obviously they're, they're going through the justice system, but they can also have access to uh, the medical uh, and health supports that they need. So we actually, as a government, we did one thing that uh, actually ended up getting uh, significant awards, and that's the Virtual Opioid Dependency Program. So, and we've even talked to some of the other provinces that if there's one thing that you can do that you really want to make the greatest impact to ensure that individuals, especially individuals who are experiencing uh, opioid use disorder, if you want to, if you want to do the most marginal benefit thing to help individuals uh, to stop them from overdosing and potentially dying, it's to bring the virtual opioid or some a virtual opioid dependency program or something similar to it into their province and then into their police stations. Okay, so. Um, what the VODP thing is, is basically anybody anywhere in the province can make a call, get connected with a substance use professional uh, who will do an assessment and then same day access to opioid agonist therapy like sublocator, suboxone. And so what that does is it allows uh, for individuals who are on those medications um, if they are experiencing opioid use disorder, about 95% of them will stabilize, and then that then opens up a, a really good opportunity to intervene and get people into treatment and recovery. One of the th the reason why this was actually such a such a such an important move and what was uh, uh, clouded as being so uh, so beneficial is because 
When we looked at individuals across Alberta who died of, of uh, opioid overdose, uh, half of all individuals who did were at one point in the correctional facility system, um, whether they were being arrested, et cetera, within the year before. So we've got this automatic, we've got a population of individuals who are highly at risk, and then we've got a solution to get people into treatment on demand. Uh, like I said, it's same day. Uh, it's obviously provided at, at zero cost. And then from there, then you can, with stabilization, you can have that uh, opportunity, like I said, to have uh, the intervention to ensure that uh, people can get the treatment that they uh, require or need. So thank you very much for that. Well, thank you, ministers. So the next question is submitted to, has been submitted to us by Sarah, and it's a question from Minister Ellis. Uh, Sarah's question is, Minister, you have talked about doing gang suppression work. What are you doing in Edmonton? Yeah, uh, thanks, Sarah. Um, obviously, gang suppression and uh, organized crime. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the bad people of this world and organized crime don't have borders, so that's why we invested an enormous amount of money into the Alberta um, law enforcement response team. Uh, they actually have a coordinated effort uh, with the, the Edmonton Police Service, uh, to uh, go after those folks that um, you know, uh, you know, prey on on the good people of Edmonton, but I think people also on the call need to understand that organized crime actually preys on the vulnerable people as well, and uh, I think that's something that uh, I know the, that the alert teams as well as the Edmonton Police Service uh, know they recognize and are, are targeting. Um, those uh, those offenders who are preying uh, on those uh, vulnerable people. So very, very complex uh, problem. Obviously, Sarah can't go into the tactics of, of uh, alerts or the Edmonton Police Service or any of the organizations that are dealing with organized crime, but rest assured we're, we're investing in organized uh, into the, um, the alert uh, who are tackling the organized crime. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Um, our next question comes in to us from, uh, from Tim, and it's a question for Minister Milliken. Tim's question is, addiction is a large issue in Edmonton. Your government has talked a lot about recovery communities in cities, cities like Red Deer. Will Edmonton also get one? The very, very brief answer to that is absolutely yes. It's on the books. Um, we've got nine now on the books in one stage of development or another whether that's uh, currently being built, whether that's design, whether that's uh, trying to ID appropriate areas such as like the land or potentially a building that might be able to be used uh, in order to speed it up. You kind of mentioned the Red Deer one. Red Deer is now completed with the construction and I expect that within the months uh, they'll start to take in clients. When we got in in 2019, so like I would say Treatment and treatment capacity has been something that, again, governments, plural, have failed to adequately fund. When we first got in in 2019, we sort of did, let's basically call it a heat map, as to where treatment was available within the province. And we ID'd the southern area of the province as well as in that Red Deer area too as areas that were woeful. There was, there was practically... the better way to call it would be, especially in the south, a treatment desert. So um, later uh, this spring, we should also have the Lethbridge recovery community opening up. Uh, start of the next year, we should also have the, the Blood Tribe recovery community uh, opened up. 
Um, we've got discussions going on. I think there's actually going to be an announcement with regards to um, the, uh, where uh, Edmonton is going to be uh, likely uh, built out um, w within the, I, I think within coming weeks. I'm looking around and I'm getting some nods. That's my expectation. Uh, I can clear that up with you later though, but I think that's what it's going to be. So yes, answer quickly. Edmonton's getting one. Calgary, Lethbridge, uh, the gun area as well, that one actually, because of the fact that we're building so many out, it's actually a bit of a market event. And so in order to ensure that we have the adequate um, HR, like the actual personnel to run these things, um, not only are we drawing from, you know, other provinces who are excited about the whole recovery-oriented aspect of what we're doing here, which is now getting even billed as the Alberta model. Um, it's actually getting international uh, attention. I've got people inquiring about how we got to where we are even right now from literally all over the world. Uh, I've got actually one of the people who's on a, on a panel to help uh, with regards to making sure that we're using resources adequately or most effectively is actually a person who's uh, he's the head of uh, mental health aspects over in Stanford, uh, Dr. Keith Humphreys. Um, and he was, so he's, a, he's down in California, but he comes up to help us. Uh, and he was even the drug policy advisor for uh, Barack Obama. So um, we've got a lot of really good things going. Like I said, we've got nine. I think there's Grand Prairie's getting one. We've got another one slated for Central Zone and another one slated for the North Zone as well. Um, so long story short, Calgary's getting one. These, I would love to speak at length. Edmonton, of course, yeah, of course. Um, I would love to speak at length about what the recovery communities are. These are evidence-based. They're, they're new to Alberta. They're new to Canada, but they're used in 65-plus different countries. These are things where people can stay for, like, uh, upwards of a year. They, the, the goal is obviously to get people off drugs, but also to get people into, like, um, one of the outcomes that is really, really top of mind is to make sure that anybody who graduates out of it has... Uh, either prospects with regards to um, work or is going into school, basically somebody returning back into becoming a productive member uh, of society. A lot of these people who enter into these, you know, if, if, you, if you're an addict and you, dis and you end up finding some sort of treatment recovery, you end up in a recovery community for, for detox and you stay there for a year, um, it's sometimes situations where people get into some of these uh, addictions when they're like 16. And then by 23, when they're finally into some sort of recovery uh, treatment, like they, they won't have the life skills from making beds and cooking and all that kind of stuff. So these communities, it's like half the day you're going to end up doing group therapies and stuff like that. Half the day you're going to be doing life skills. And then, of course, there's other programming and stuff like that. So, um, But I would love the opportunity. If somebody asks me that question, that, that's, that, that one's awesome. So thanks. Well, thank you, Minister. Uh, our next question was submitted to us by Sean, and it's a question from Minister Ellis. And Sean's question is, thank you for putting forth a great effort to make transit more safe for all of us. As we know, trouble will move to areas where there are no police. What is the plan to stop this from happening? So thanks, uh, thanks Sean. Um, Look, there's, there's some folks out there that think that there's a choice, a choice between helping vulnerable people and public safety, but you can actually do both. You can help vulnerable people, people with severe mental health and addictions issues, while also making sure that your communities are safe. So 
Now, Mr. Milliken, of course, touched a lot on the ROSC uh, system, the recovery-oriented system of care. And I think, um, you know, obviously you always have that concern regarding uh, displacement of, of um, crime. But, uh, you know, rest assured, I have full confidence in the Edmonton Police Service and uh, uh, the chief that, uh, that is there, Chief McPhee, to make sure that they address uh, any uh, problem areas in the city of Edmonton. Um, but let me just say this, because typically the police uh, have been and, and will likely always be that one, one of the central points of contact when dealing with somebody with a severe mental health and addictions issue. And I just want to touch a little bit about these therapeutic living communities, because I think it's, it's really crucial to your question when we talk about how are you going to stop the displacement. The dis how, we're, how we're going to do this is that, you know, obviously if you've committed a very serious offense, i.e., stabbing somebody, which seems to be a little bit out of control in both Edmonton and Calgary right now, obviously you're going to be held accountable for those actions, right, through the criminal justice system. But that doesn't mean that if you are incarcerated that you have to live in pain and suffering uh, with your addiction. Now, most, of your, uh, most people do not know this, but uh, um, the addiction issue is actually a neurobiological illness. And that illness requires medical treatment. So Minister Milliken touched on it a little bit here regarding therapeutic living units that we've, we are put into our, are incorporated into our correctional facilities. Uh, the first one being in Red Deer, hoping to do it, and we're in plans are to do it in all the remaining correctional facilities in Alberta. But it allows uh, somebody to get actual treatment for their mental health and addictions issues so that they are not just being uh, let out of a correctional facility into the cycle of abuse where the whole thing starts over again. And let me just touch a little bit more about these therapeutic living, or pardon me, the recovery communities. These recovery communities allow somebody to enter in, the, in there, as Minister Milliken indicated, you can be up there for a year, year and a half, because everybody heals at their own pace. But I want you to think about this. You're entering into a system, you're learning how to, to, to live again, you're learning how to, uh, you, you will get treatment, you'll get wraparound services when it comes to social services, but then you will also, also get skills so that you can get a job and then exit the facility in a place where you actually have a home. So entering into the facility, a journey of wellness and exiting the system in a place from which you, better, from better from which you started. These are the corrective measures that we are doing to help people so that they do not fall into the path of recidivism, so they do not fall in the path of the cycle of abuse. And that is going to help uh, stop, to answer your question, that displacement, right? Because we don't want people, when they do fall into the justice system, uh, God forbid, but if they do, we want to make sure that they're getting treatment for their mental health and addictions so that they do not fall into the justice system again. And that's how we start to, to, to really take a bite out of this. And I'll, let me just add this. Mr. Milliken talked about the 75 beds. We predict that, you know, these 75 beds, we'd be able to get through approximately in a year's time on average, give or take, about 400 people. So when you think about 400 people on an annual basis that we are able to provide help to and get them off the street, and not only get them off the street, get them well, get them a job, and of course get them a place to live, that is going to make a significant impact in Edmonton. Thank you. Well, thank you, Minister Ellis. Uh, for those of you just joining us, my name is Ethan LeCavalier-Kidney, and I'm your host for this evening's Telephone Town Hall meeting. Joining me tonight are Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, Mike Ellis, and Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, Nicholas Milkinen. Tonight, we are talking about public safety and emergency services in Alberta. 
If you have a question for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. On the line, we have Lori. Uh, Lori, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Good evening. Um, my question is, what is the government going to do with the public safety in the downtown core? Not necessarily public safety, but the homelessness. I hadn't been in downtown probably 10 months and was there about a month ago with my husband downtown, and it was terrible. In a year, it looks like it's got worse, and I just I'm wondering what what the government plans to do. And my other question, not necessarily a question statement, please do not defund the police, any of the police, the police, Edmonton Police, Calgary Police, RCMP, because they are so important. Uh, I'll just say this as a former police officer, uh, I would not be uh, in any way part of um, anyone defunding the police. Uh, let me say that right now. So um, utmost respect as a former Calgary Police Service member uh, of the law enforcement communities, and that's why we made that enormous investment the other day about ensuring that we're um, uh, going to have 50 new police officers in both uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, bear in mind it does take some time. Look, the social and civil disorder in, in Edmonton, um, yeah, I mean, I, that is, um, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. Um, we certainly have a social and dis civil disorder in Calgary. That's why you saw us deploy uh, the, uh, the sheriffs into both uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Again, um, it is not about putting handcuffs on people. You heard me talk about this earlier, that you know, we are not to be seen as an arm of the state. We're, seen, we're, we're here as an extension of the community, a reflection of that community. So um, you know, what we're trying to do is that these officers become the first point of contact. The, they, are, they, are, uh, they have a plethora of tools uh, made available through them. Uh, Health IM, just off the top of my head, uh, the connection, as Minister Milliken indicated, we were investing an enormous amount of money in the uh, police, uh, police and crisis teams uh, in Edmonton as well, the help teams, so that when these people are, uh, are the, the homeless population are engaged upon, which unfortunately, typically, um, and I would say disproportionately, have uh, mental health and addictions issues, that it's not about telling somebody to move along, it's about engaging with them and then directing them to the necessary resources so that they can get the help they need. And I think Mr. Minister Milliken uh, touched on us a bit. The recovery-oriented system of care that we have created here in uh, Alberta, which uh, you, can, you can substitute the word recovery for holistic or human or wellness, but the point is it's a system of care. There's no other system of care in North America where, again, somebody enters in the system, goes on a journey of wellness, exits the system in a better place from which they started. It has been internationally recognized. It's been recognized by Stanford and Harvard and, and Yale and, and other provinces as well as other states. It's been recognized in Europe and it's commonly known internationally as the Alberta model. But the point is, and it's, it, it, building a system though is not easy, it's not, it's not pretty, and it does take time. But rest assured, with the 10,000 spaces that we have created, uh, I, I'm sure we're, we're planning to build 10,000 more if we could, right? Uh, but we're halfway through an eight-year project to create a system of care that will be uh, arguably the role model for North America to help people with severe mental health and addictions issues and to address the homelessness issue uh, that, uh, that was part of your question. So thank you. Well, thank you, Minister. Um, the next question was submitted to us by Marcy, and it's a question for both Ministers Ellis and Minister Milliken. So, 
you say that there are mental health people going out with police. How do you keep them safe? How do you know when they should work together? Well, I mean, uh, thank, uh, thank you very much for the call, uh, Marcy. I mean, obviously, you know, a call comes in and somebody's in distress. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be a call taker that's going to have a series of questions that you're going to ask to determine uh, whether or not um, you know, a PAC team or a help team or, 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 or whatever the situation is going to require um, uh, that response, quite frankly. Um, you know, obviously when you're, when you're dealing with uh, unknown situations and, you know, again, I'll take my experience here, not, not, not necessarily everybody who's, who's on the phone is necessarily always uh, being truthful, so we always have to be very uh, cognizant of that and, you know, the police on their way to those calls are constantly uh, doing checks to, to find out if there's a history at that call, to find out um, if there's any weapons, we'll say, associated to that call. Um, but also we, we, we have to know that, you know, does the person, you know, do they have weapons? Uh, we have to find out if they are on drugs. I know uh, what hasn't come up here, and I think it's important for everybody to understand, is that a lot of this violence that you do see in the, the cities right now is uh, crystal meth, right? So, you know, one, that's, a, that's we call it, you know, kind of an accelerant, it's a bit of an upper. Uh, the fentanyl, which is, uh, you know, equally dangerous, but it's from, from a, a level of a, a depressant, and that's where you kind of see somebody more kind of passing out. But crystal meth uh, is very, very unpredictable. Uh, that's where you see somebody uh, doing random acts of violence, and that's what you're typically seeing on your, your LRTs or, or in the streets. Um, there is, there's no, there's no safe crystal meth. Uh, it is a very dangerous drug. It's very unpredictable. Uh, unfortunately, the it requires a police response, and that police response uh, will go in, uh, make sure they assess the situation. Obviously, they're going to have to make sure that that person is calm. If it does require uh, a, a use of force, they're going to use the appropriate force to make sure that person is uh, in, you know, um, detained, we'll say. And we unfortunately have to just allow that drug to, to leave the body uh, to the point where then we can actually assess the, the person to find out whether or not they actually have an underlying mental health issue or if it's a strictly an addictions issue. Again, these problems are extremely complex, but we always have to put the safety of the public and certainly those officers in place. So long story short, it's basically an assessment, uh, assessment by the call taker. Yeah, and, and let me just say too, when you've got these uh, mental health workers going along with the police, it's, uh, yes, keeping them safe is uh, obviously top priority. But also what it does is it offers the opportunity to compassionately ensure that you're also doing your best to keep the client safe or the individual that you're actually being called about, right? To make sure that they can get the right services, that they can get uh, uh, basically whether it's um, opioid agonist therapy, whether it's whether it is getting to a, to a hospital, all the rest of it, you've got an individual there who can who can really uh, professionally assess um, that aspect of the situation, along with, of course, the police officer who's assessing the the safety aspect of it as well. I do just I have to take a moment and just comment a little bit about the previous individual's question about downtown. Uh, and the homelessness, et cetera. I know that Minister Nixon's not here, but the, the, the increases that we've seen in budget 2023 on shelters, are, I'm looking around, I think it's over a billion dollars. I'm pretty sure, but uh, I'll double check that one. But really, like, 
I don't know. As a, as a person who grew up in Edmonton, I totally hear what you're saying. I think the, the, the person who, I don't remember her name, but she talked about how she hasn't been there for back to downtown in like 10 months. I obviously, you know, when we go up to the ledge, we're in downtown uh, the, uh, quite often, um, living there as well when we're, when we're up in Edmonton. And, I, and I've seen the change, like, you know, having from, from the first time that I can probably ever remember it, which would have been like the late 80s all the way up to, you know, two weeks ago, uh, there has been, uh, you know, very big changes and pressures. And I think that it's fair to say that both, like, Calgary and Edmonton have kind of unfairly borne that brunt of the addiction crisis that we've, that we've seen. And so that's one of the, like, I really do want to stress, that's one of the reasons why we built out the uh, Edmonton Public Safety and Community Response Task Force. Like this, the whole, the whole mandate there is to effectively and timely implement you know, new capacity to support exactly what you were asking about. You know, whether it's increasing shelter capacity, further increasing addiction treatment capacity, expanding detox services, building out harm reduction, supporting harm reduction. Often, you know, individuals uh, try to say, oh, you guys uh, don't, don't support harm reduction. Our budgets on harm reduction have continued to increase. They, um, it's, it's part of the continuum of care. And it's uh, again, it's like one of those parts where it's an opportunity to potentially um, see an opportunity to get uh, to, to get somebody into treatment and recovery. And then, of course, it's what we're kind of talking about here, which is the better integration of police and health services. I think I misquoted myself on the previous with the thing. I think it was a total budget increase, but with regards to just shelters, there's a 71.5% increase, and that's like $84 million. So. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to take, as, as somebody who grew up in Edmonton, obviously I've still got family uh, all around uh, and surrounding uh, the area, um, and just the fact that I have continually, whether, whether it's been through you know, growing up, going to university, uh, working in the downtown core as a lawyer once upon a time, um, and just seeing the changes. These are issues like we, we see it and we're doing, I think, what Again, with the building out the treatment capacity, et cetera, these are things that historically governments, plural, just haven't really put as a priority, and we're making that change in order to be able to help those people compassionately who are in need. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, thank you, ministers. Uh, if anyone on the line has a question for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. And for the next question, we have several people uh, on the line uh, asking the same question. So just for Minister Milliken, um, where can people find mental health resources when they need them? Uh, yeah, no, great question. I kind of, I've, I've alluded a bit to it, but I think the best, I always say the best starting point is just call 211, okay? Um, that's going to be an opportunity for wherever you're calling from, literally across the province, but if you're, if you're in Edmonton, call 211. Individuals on the other end of the line will be able to direct you towards local services in your area. And so we've got, I mean, they're partnering with hundreds of organizations, right? So if, uh, if, if you're feeling um, any kind of uh, mental health issue or if you've got questions with regards to uh, addictions as well, um, call, call 211. Obviously, I mentioned kids' help phone too. I think we've doubled. Uh, well, with regards to um, two on one, I think we took it from funding it at seven and a half million to funding it up. I think we doubled it up to 15 million. So the resources are that's an awesome resource to get you started and make sure that you can find the help that you need. Thanks. Thank you, Minister. On the line next, we have Barbara. 
Barbara, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Oh, my question is for Minister Alice. Now, I've grown up in Edmonton all my life, and I've seen the difference in the addicts that are now on the streets in Edmonton. And I know that we're a hub for the fentanyl and the cartel and gangs. And I'm actually wondering what we're doing at our southern border in concert with the United States to actually jail and deport these people that are bringing these drugs into our communities. Barbara, that's a that's a fantastic question. Um, yeah, we're actually doing we're doing quite a bit. So as you heard me mention before, the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Team. So it's a organization of uh, all of the uh, policing uh, services in Alberta. Obviously, our, our uh, current provincial police service, the the RCMP, along with. Uh, the seven municipalities uh, that uh, have their own police services, they all contribute to this. They all have connections in other provinces as well as internationally into the United States, obviously, with the DEA. And uh, yes, yeah, what is what is being coming across our border is a, enormous amounts of fentanyl uh, as well as uh, illegal uh, guns are coming across our border and uh, human trafficking. So, And it's not just uh, sex, it's uh, labor that's uh, coming across the border as well. So um, we certainly have, uh, again, contributed an enormous amount of money uh, for our alert teams to be down at the uh, border, obviously working with uh, Canadian Border Services. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the stuff is still getting across the border. Uh, one of the things that we are looking at, Barbara, right now, uh, and I know we're putting a lot of pressure on our uh, our sheriffs, but our our sheriffs actually have a bit of an expertise in uh, commercial vehicles, and um, you know we have been uh, working with uh, Chief uh, Sheikh, who's the chief of the uh, the sheriffs, and um, he's been able to provide a, a little bit more assistance at those borders to stop the 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 large vehicles that unfortunately have been. Uh, transporting these uh, illicit narcotics, uh, as well as uh, guns, and uh, and also unfortunately the the human trafficking component to deal with that as well. So uh, we're doing a lot. We're uh, we're doing what we can. Obviously, it's not just the United States where this uh, this uh, these drugs are coming in. Uh, sadly, it's coming across the border through British Columbia as well. Uh, again, this stuff has become so lucrative to the drug cartels. Um, that um, that you know uh, you know basically a key a kilo of of fentanyl is netting these these drug dealers and I mean cartels five million dollars, which is mind-boggling when you really think about it and the amount of damage and destruction that they're doing to our communities, the damage and destruction that they're doing to people and their lives. I mean this is it's it's unacceptable. So you know as the premier said, as I have said, we're going to do whatever it takes to uh, go after these. Uh, these organized crime, uh, the cartels, uh, these drug dealers who are preying upon the good people of Edmonton, the good people of Alberta, and uh, we want other provinces to follow suit. Thank you. Well, thank you, Minister. Our next question was submitted to us by Tyrell, and it's a question from Minister Milliken. Minister, how can we put in place preventions for low-income and vulnerable individuals to help prevent drug addiction? Uh, thank you very much uh, for the question, Tyrell. Um, one of the best ways to deal with preventing individuals from entering into it um, or uh, intervening at early stages is to increase access. 
So we've talked about the fact, like when we came in in 2019, we had a plan to build out 4,000 uh, more recovery spaces. Once we did an assessment and really uh, figured it out, we actually were able to build that out to 10,000. So that's 10,000 more Albertans getting services uh, potentially each year than would have been uh, possible before. Um, reducing barriers, right? So you, you mentioned low income. One of the things that I, I think has doesn't seem to get much play in the media or anything like that, but I've mentioned it to them several times, is when we came in in 2019, if an individual, like uh, someone uh, low-income, homeless, uh, was given the opportunity to access publicly funded treatment spaces, so these are taxpayer-funded, public, AHS-provided treatment spaces, in many of these cases, these individuals were actually required to somehow put together $40 a day. So that's literally, in order to access publicly funded treatment, they were having to pull out their credit cards if they even had a credit card. Otherwise, they were going to have to scramble. Like a lot of these programs, whether they're 30 or if it's a 60-day program, that's asking somebody to put together $2,400. So for somebody who's low income, that's just literally something that can't, that, that, it's, a, it's a barrier. It's too big of a barrier. It's not compassionate to consider that. So what we did is we, as soon as we realized that, we got rid of those user fees in order to make sure that it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, we're, we're making treatment available to you. And then it also goes to that VODP. We Again, we've covered the cost of opioid agonist therapy in the province. We've made it so that you can get it on demand. Literally on the same day, you can get it barrier-free, free, and then, of course, like I kind of alluded to earlier, you've got, you know, 90, 95% of individuals who are going to be on it are going to be, you know, have the ability to, to stabilize and then get, uh, get in towards whether it's even like pre-treatment housing that we've been funding to ensure that, hey, if there's a wait list for somebody to get into residential treatment, well, let's figure out a, a, a way to, hey, let's, let's put them into some pre-treatment housing where they still get a lot of the same supports, they still become part of this community, and then, and then if they can get into recovery, and of course recovery is a lifelong situation. Um, the other side of it too would be just the fact that like, building out what we often would call uh, recovery capital. And so that's just like having, you, you get people into these treatment uh, facilities, they graduate and then they come back out into the community. Well, often if they're going back into their, you know, their friends and family, they might be the healthiest person in the room. And so making sure that we can help build out the, the, the recovery capital in the whole community, whether that's, you know, helping to set up, you know, AA meetings and things like that. Uh, to ensure that people can continue on that course of recovery. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I always say there's no one silver bullet. We're, there, there's more to do. All you have to do is look around. All you have to do is look around downtown Edmonton, you know that there's still more to do. So that's why we have doubled down and we're just building out treatment capacity as fast as we can in order to make sure that there's an opportunity for, for, for individuals who are in addiction, there's an opportunity for a place for them to go. So thanks. Thank you, Minister. Our next question comes from Zakaria on the line. Uh, Zakaria, you are now live. Can you please go ahead with your question? Hey, uh, so I think it's it's kind of similar to what someone was asking about downtown, but I was just wondering, is there going to be or a chance that there's going to be more sheriffs and stuff for uh, downtown during festival season, downtown Edmonton, sorry, when it's more busy? Because at the Taste of Edmonton, I saw, like, last year, a guy smoking crack just out in the open. It was, like, 7 o'clock, bright daylight, just on the sidewalk in light. So I'm just wondering, is there going to be more security? 
Yeah, Zakaria, that's a, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I'm certainly doing everything that I, I can to, to try and make that happen. Um, obviously, you know, uh, you know, the, the Edmonton Police Service um, is, is supportive. Um, we have to make sure that the, you know, City of Edmonton, of course, is, is, is backing the Edmonton uh, Police Service to make sure that they also have the necessary resources. Um, you know, in speaking with uh, Chief, uh, Chief Sheikh, uh, with the with the sheriffs, I mean, a lot of folks don't know this, but they they have they have things that are um, part of their mandate. Uh, court and prisoner security is one of them. Uh, prisoner transfer is another. Um, certainly, they have done their best to kind of um, uh, make sure that they have coverage while freeing up some folks to provide those uh, those officers in the Edmonton and Calgary area. Um, certainly, we're looking at you know seeing if we can get more but again that's that's you know not that easy we also have uh, restrictions when it comes to uh unions and folks schedule but you know rest assured we're we're looking at all options to try to make sure that there is more of that officer presence uh but re the reality is this and sometimes you know it goes back to something i experienced you know probably 15 years ago when we had some very very serious uh guns and gangs violence in the streets of uh, of Calgary and uh, you know the chief of police at the time and the mayor at that time said just was I which what, what exactly what I have said which is enough is enough, and you know they were able to redirect and deploy uh, an enormous amounts of resources and officers to essentially walk the beat and be that physical uh, that physical presence, which is the deterrent that is required to not only provide safety for people like yourself, but also to um, ensure that um, you know vulnerable people are also being uh, looked after and not being preyed upon so it certainly is a, a challenge uh, we're doing whatever we can obviously those those officers that I recently announced there's a process you know we have to recruit we have to hire so to say that they're going to be there by the summertime um, I think that was uh, I don't think we're going to be able to achieve that but uh, your point is well taken and I'm certainly going to be working with uh, Chief McPhee as well as uh, Chief Sheikh uh, to make sure that Edmontonians are, are, are protected in Edmonton. Thank you, Minister. If you have a question for any of the speakers, just press star 3 on your phone now to enter the queue. Our next question was submitted to us by Jim, and it's a question for Minister Milliken. Minister, could prevention of addictions be started earlier by other governments? Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks, Jim, for, for the question. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you said it right there on, the, on that, too. Governments, the previous government, uh, with regards to this file of mental health and addiction, uh, stuck to policies uh, that ultimately, you know, end up with situations that you see up and down the West Coast. Uh, downtown east side of Vancouver has obviously made the news uh, relatively recently. And in, in a lot of those cases, you just, if I, I, I walked through the downtown east side of Vancouver and there wasn't, I didn't see, I didn't see prevention and I didn't see interventions happening. Um, so yes, I think that with the right policies, with the right priorities, then yes, uh, it could have happened earlier. I think what we're doing now with the recovery-oriented system of care, which is the Alberta model. It's literally getting uh, attention from around the world. We are building out the capacity to ensure that individuals who are in the throes of addiction have the treatment that they need or want. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things where 
even if, you know, it's, it's somewhat, I don't know if sad is the right word, but if another jurisdiction is looking to, uh, to, to, to model themselves after the Alberta model, where, where we are right now, four years into an eight-year plan, well, we're, we're already four years ahead. We've, we've spent, like Minister Ellis had this file when it was an associate ministry. Uh, Minister Luan had it before him as, a, as an associate minister. And so we've been laying the foundation to get to this point. Like you can't just, you know, snap your fingers and have a recovery community. You have to put in, uh, there's a ton of work that goes into it. And now we're starting to see them online. Um, and I, I often tell people I, I would love to literally fast forward two years and just see the, the difference between the large urban centers in, Al, in Alberta and then take it and juxtapose it with something like, you know, uh, what's happening in, up and down the West Coast and just see the, the, what I expect will be a proof point or a, juxtapos uh, uh, a juxtaposition between the, the, the outcomes that we will be, and we are already seeing here, here in Alberta. If you take um, some of our data, now we're the most transparent government with, regard, with regards to data. We have it all online with ACES. We are building out the My Recovery Plan, which is another aspect to measure outcomes. Um, and what we're going to end up seeing is we're going to see uh, vastly stronger outcomes, and we are already seeing them. I kind of started to say it. Uh, in November of 2021, which was the height of all opioid deaths in Alberta, we then managed to, since then, cut it by half. Uh, hospital usages uh, for people who are experiencing opioid uh, issues, uh, EMS calls are down somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 37 percent. All this while other jurisdictions aren't experiencing these same, these same benefits. They're actually going, in, in most cases, the, their numbers are actually going up. So the fact that we've managed to, over the course of the four years, you know, pull out 10,000 more spaces. So you've got, got 2,600 in Edmonton that, uh, you know, whether it's detox, pre-treatment, residential treatment. Imagine if we didn't have those, where we would be. We would probably be facing uh, the same sort of numbers as they're experiencing in other jurisdictions. As we build out more recovery, then that'll take, that'll take pressures off the other aspects of the holistic aspect of care that we're building out, and it'll only consider, continue to feed forward itself. That's... that's uh, I'm looking at Mike. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, uh, I'll just supplement that. I mean, quite frankly, that's that's why we're seeing the the uh, international recognition because, as Minister Milliken said, um, as our opioid fatalities uh, um, decreased by by 50% through the recovery-oriented system of care uh, and the other policies, as you indicated, it's governments, governments, right? So the other policies, and we're always compared to British Columbia, which have um, um, completely opposite policies that we have. They, they obviously have a policy which is known as safe supply, which there is no such thing, and I encourage anybody to go look at our safe supply committee, uh, listening to the experts um, uh, internationally throughout the world, again, from Stanford, Harvard, and Yale, uh, as well as um, a, a multitude of, of supervised consumption sites uh, in the downtown east side. And when I say multitude, we're talking like 20 or more. Um, as Minister Milliken said, as I have said, there is no single silver bullet solution to a very, very, very complex problem. Um, in regards to harm reduction, it is part of the continuum of care, but it is not the answer to an extremely complex problem. So as our numbers started to go down, as we took a very holistic view to uh, the very complex problem and the other jurisdictions which were run uh, in, in British Columbia as well as uh, other jurisdictions all up and down the West Coast, they took a very narrow view. 
That is why you are seeing the extreme civil and social disorder, and I do, I do that, I say that word intently, extreme social and civil disorder all up and down the West Coast, and um, that's why we're having these uh, successes here in Alberta right now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, everyone, we have 15 minutes left in, on this town hall, so if you have a question for any of the speakers, now is the time to press star three on your phone to enter the queue. For our next question, on the line we have Anne-Marie, and Anne-Marie, you are now live. Please go ahead with your question. Thank you very much. Thank you to both guests. I really appreciate the discussion. I'm with the Edmonton Neighborhood Watch Program Society, and through our, our training, crime prevention training, we've been asked, can we get more community police stations that happened a few years back? because that will help build the relationship with some of the community members, seniors especially, who may not have access to internet service. Can we help us? Yeah, yeah Anne-Marie, great question. And it, it builds on, upon what I have been saying, which is officer presence makes a difference. Um, you know, when I was policing in, in downtown Calgary and I was a community liaison officer for a number of years, I, I would actually get uh, many uh, business owners and corporations that were were offering actually to provide uh, free rent uh, just to provide a space for uh, police officers to kind of hang their hat or do their paperwork. Uh, again, whether it be the uh, police vehicle itself, whether it be just the officer presence, whether it be uh, walking in to get a coffee somewhere, Whatever the case may be, uh, it matters. And it goes back to another thing that I was saying is the, the paradigm shift where they are an extension, a reflection of the community. They are your, your neighbors, your friends. You know that when you are uh, in distress, you, that they are there to help you. They are not the enemy. They are not to be cast aside. Uh, they are there to help you and to provide the necessary service. And we, I, I, I say that word in, in, intently as well is because no longer are police uh, to be considered a force. They are not a force, they are a service. And they provide the services to help the community and to better the community. So, you know, I'll just take this as a takeaway, uh, Anne-Marie, and I'll certainly talk to Chief McPhee. Uh, obviously, in, in those cases, we would need the support of the uh, Edmonton, um, Edmonton City uh, to probably assist the Edmonton Police Service to make sure that uh, those spaces are available for them. But we'll take it as a takeaway. Thanks very much. Thank you, Minister. Um, on the line for our next question, we have the former mayor of Edmonton, uh, Bill Smith. Bill, you are now live. Can you please go ahead with your question? Uh, Minister, uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for what you're doing. It's a, a great program, and uh, <clears throat> I'm very interested in uh, uh, the discussion you're having, uh, which is very, very important. But one thing that's missing in, or that I've heard yet is how do you get the people into these programs? Now you know for sure that uh, whether it's mental health, alcohol, or drugs, nobody's going in voluntarily. So my question is, uh, years ago in uh, California had a law that was three strikes and you're out. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily enforcing these things, enforcing people in, but I can guarantee you that 80% of the people that are suffering 
uh, are not going to go in voluntarily. So have you ever considered how you're going to get these people in? I'll take it. It's uh, Nick Milliken. I'll take a stab at that. Um, let me first just say I'm having a blast from the past because I'm pretty sure I'm having a memory where I was driving in a car with my mom and someone passed us in a black SUV and it said Mayor Bill Smith on the side of it and my mom was like, there's the mayor. So just wanted to bring that up. You've got me uh, thinking from when I was like, I can't remember exactly which years you were, you were elected, so I can't uh, figure out exactly how old or young I was, but uh, it's a happy memory. So there you go. So uh, thank you very much for the question, uh, Your Worship. Um, if my, my mandate letter from the Premier actually talked about the fact that we need to figure out ways to have some intervention for some of these individuals that I think you're kind of referring to. Like, first and foremost, we do have, we do have the drug courts. So that's a situation where um, essentially intended to, to break a cycle of criminal behavior driven by addiction, um, offering individuals a chance to participate and avoid prison if they complete a drug treatment program. Uh, and of course, this is only for nonviolent uh, offenses. Um, but alluding to that idea of, of, of figuring out a way to compassionately deal with, you, you said, people who are maybe um, uh, not going to go willingly or something along those lines. Um, we uh, are looking at having some sort of um, compassionate intervention. My, my statement that I made to um, during that one presser was, if we've got individuals who are on the streets and they're getting naloxone or they're ODing like six times a day, they're a danger to themselves, they're a danger to, to others, they're um, obviously uh, creating... Uh, issues within the community to businesses and all that kind of stuff. We need to figure out some compassionate way to ensure that they get the treatment that they need or that they want, right? Um, I've, so through that, through that mandate letter, I've been tasked to work with Minister Ellis, uh, with Minister Shandro, uh, and a few other ministries to ensure that we can find some sort of solution to that. Because you're right, in the mental health space, um, Form 10, right? So... Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, so there's an opportunity uh, where somebody is a danger to themselves or others where they can get, uh, you know, brought in for some assessments and then potentially into uh, long-term care. We don't have that in the addiction space, so it's definitely something that we got to look at. As a provincial government, I don't hold the keys to the criminal code, um, but, and I, and I don't think we're going to get too much help from the feds on that. But uh, you're right, we have to figure out something. My team is looking at it. We're, uh, we're, we're coming up with um, potential solutions. And then once we have something more, uh, I'll, I'll find a way to give you a call. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, Bill, I'll just expand on that. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for your service uh, to the people of Edmonton. Um, look, I, I, a lot of folks don't know this, but we, we actually do have a form of involuntary treatment already. We have something that's known as PCHAD, so obviously if somebody, some, there's a child who's under the age of 18 uh, who uh, is uh, involved in, in, in drugs or alcohol. Certainly the family sometimes becomes very distressed and they, they will apply to the courts uh, for a form of involuntary treatment. Uh, we also have uh, PCHIP, which are children that are involved in prostitution. Um, and, and we want to make sure that we can get them the, the help that they need. Again, we have family members that are extremely distressed and they don't know what to do. So there, there is a lot of work to, to do. I would say that that 
those the, that lays a bit of a foundation when it comes to involuntary treatment. But let me just further add to that, as I've mentioned earlier, you know, addiction itself is a neurobiological illness. It requires medical treatment. Um, you know, there is no there is no victory in allowing uh, somebody to overdose. You know, two, three, four, five, etc. Times a day, uh, and then uh, and, and condemn a, a 19 to 25 year old uh, to a life of just this cycle of abuse where they are, um, you know, using and surviving and using and surviving and using and surviving. Uh, again, we want to be able to get these folks help. So there is a compassionate approach that Minister Milliken did uh, talk about uh, looking into, which is is that you know would, you know is is involuntary treatment uh, an option? I think that we have to start looking at that because when we were talking about people that have severe um, they were in severe mental distress who are posing a danger to themselves or others, then we have the Mental Health Act that allows us to take that person and get them medical treatment. The same can be said for a person who is in addictions distress or severe opioid distress, where they are uh, you know, on the verge of death or a likelihood of dying. We want to make sure that they are going to get the help that they need. So thank you very much for raising that question, Bill. And just to say what I, when I was talking about the black SUV, I think I was probably 15. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, ministers. Uh, for our next question on the line, we have Ashley. Uh, Ashley, you are now live. Can you please go ahead with your question? Oh, sorry. It looks like Ashley's dropped off there. Um, so Ashley was asking, will there be a women's addictions facility for long-term recovery? Uh, again, quick answer, absolutely yes. Uh, the Red Deer uh, Recovery Community, as an example, has a women's wing. There's a similar situation going on with the Lethbridge one as well, with the previous other. The, uh, a lot of these um, uh, service providers will often also partner with other uh, organizations um, that, are, that may even be uh, specifically for um, women's uh, recovery spaces, and then many of the recovery, the, the 10,000 spaces that we have brought online are specifically for women as well. I think that one of the, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people around Alberta who talk to me about, you know, stats and populations of those who are experiencing addiction or mental health issues and stuff. Often what uh, I get, you know, uh, anecdotally quoted to me would be, you know, 75% uh, male, 25% female, down to 60% male and up to 40% female. So these are, it's not that we are, we're, we're not doing for one what we're not doing for the other. We are making sure that we believe, we truly believe as a government that anybody who is experiencing addiction should have the opportunity to pursue recovery, period. So we're making sure, again, that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter, um, and it, it doesn't matter who you are. We are here to help you end of end of like stop that's it everything that we are going to be there no matter who you are to make sure that you can pursue recovery because you deserve it and we believe that people who enter into treatment can and will uh, have the opportunity to uh, recover and enter into a productive purposeful uh, life of becoming a citizen uh, for Alberta thank you minister and for our last question of 
of the night. On the line, we have Chris. Uh, Chris, you are now live. Please go ahead. Hi. We've, uh, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to take part in this. Uh, my question is regarding rural uh, first responders, uh, particularly volunteer firefighters, because, you know, we've talked a lot about the urban environments, but, uh, you know, we know the, the drug and mental health crisis is widespread, and uh, in a lot of cases, the first emergency responder that people see in rural communities is a volunteer firefighter. I'm just wondering what kind of supports are they being provided with in terms of training and uh, what kind of resources are they getting available to uh, address this issue? First, I'd just say um, uh, with regards to Counseling Alberta, we have built that out so that um, we've built it out uh, on platforms both in person and also virtually to ensure that uh, anybody, no matter income, et cetera, has the opportunity to, to enter into, especially if they're experiencing mental health issues and stuff like that. Funny enough that you asked this question right now, I was literally just talking to one of the major providers for these recovery community type models across uh, in, here in Canada, and they specifically talked about um, working uh, with, uh, with firefighters. Now, this is going into the addiction thing, but the reason why is they, they, it, was, it was a small kind of part of the conversation, but it talked about the fact that these recovery communities, they involve families. It's very family-oriented in the sense that, you know, it's not just the individual who's seeking the treatment, but it's also a community around them, of, you know, family members who've been also in, in some way, shape, or form affected by and have been living with this addiction uh, as well. And it's through that family aspect that, uh, for whatever reason, they really, really aligned and were able to, to work really well with, with firefighters. It literally just happened to come up today, so that's why I bring it up. Yeah, and I'll just uh, supplement that by saying, first of all, you know, thank you very much uh, for all the volunteer firefighters out there. I mean, I know as a first responder myself, I mean, I've attended... Uh, I've been first on scene to fires. I've been first on scene to um, uh, very serious uh, uh, traffic accident, accidents where there's been fatalities. And I'm sure uh, you and other volunteer firefighters have as well. And you know, a lot of folks on the call who may not know this, I mean, there there is a, a form of PTSD that is associated, sometimes un unbeknownst, right, to uh, uh, to that individual at that particular time. But, you know, I, I know that Minister Milliken is, is doing an enormous amount of work, uh, especially when it comes to first, responder, first responders and ensuring that we have the necessary resources in place, especially as it pertains to uh, mental health. And uh, he touched a little bit about uh, Counseling Alberta. Let me just, uh, just, let me just say this in regards to Counseling Alberta. This was, uh, again, the only uh, jurisdiction in uh, North America, and again, outside of the larger municipalities, to ensure that we have affordable and accessible mental health care for everyone in the province. But I know Mr. Milliken wants to supplement further. Yeah, and I just want to take this opportunity to plug 2-on-1 again. Um, Albertans using 2-on-1 can connect. Uh, it's an opportunity to connect with local addiction and health, mental health care services. So those, per, those services that are they're close to and within the community to allow for, you mentioned, you know, in, within rural areas, this is an opportunity for uh, individuals in rural areas to then be able to be connected with, uh, with uh, services that are in their community. So I always, I always say, if you're ever feeling any issues with regards to mental health, um, if you have any questions or uh, if you uh, have questions with regards to uh, your or other people's addictions, call 211. Well, thank you, and thank you to everyone on the line. We've had 
so many great questions and conversation tonight. Uh, Minister Ellis, would you like to share some closing comments? Yeah, thanks, Ethan. Uh, certainly on behalf of Minister Milliken and myself, I just want to, and the government of Alberta, I'd say thank you so much, everybody, for, for being on the line. Um, I can tell you that we've had 8,978 people online. That is absolutely uh, amazing. Um, I, hope that, uh, I hope that it gives you uh, some insight as to what the government is doing to certainly help people with uh, severe mental health and addictions issues, uh, again, to help people uh, feel safe in their communities. Again, there's a balance here between helping vulnerable people as well as public safety. And rest assured that uh, the government of Alberta is, is understanding this. Uh, we are uh, halfway through a uh, eight-year project uh, that is being internationally recognized as uh, a, a game changer in the field of helping people with mental health and addictions. And as we incorporate that into the paradigm shift in policing, where we are not an arm of the state, but an extension of the community, I hope that we are going to be seen internationally as the uh, uh, new and improved Alberta 2.0 model that, again, will be internationally recognized. So thank you again to everybody. Well, thank you, Minister Ellis, and thank you, Minister Milliken, for organizing this town hall. And thank you to all the people who chose to spend the last 90 minutes listening and asking great questions. Thank you, and good night.